All right. You're already sitting down. That's good to see. I will give you a chance to stand up in about 30 minutes when I'm halfway through my message. <laughs> Pastor Michael's on vacation today, and he asked me to deliver the message to you. So in fourth grade, I was mm, disproportional. Let's just say that my height hadn't caught up with my weight yet. Now, my siblings would argue that this was the case from first grade through fifth grade, but I'm just going to focus on fourth grade today. My mother lovingly called me husky, but my siblings and many of the kids at school had names that weren't quite so loving for me. I was good in the classroom, but I lived for going out on the playground. I could kick the kickball a country mile, and it was good that I could because it took me a while to kind of chug around the bases. Um, now, a base-clearing single for me would be kind of like a grand slam because uh, I usually didn't make it past first or second base. My lack of speed caused me to be teased quite a bit, and I heard quite a few names. In spite of my record number of RKIs, for those of you who aren't kickball enthusiasts, that's runs kicked in. I think I set a world record in fourth grade. The winter months were my time to shine on the playground, though. We had huge, gigantic piles of snow from plowing of the parking lots, and we played king of the hill. Ever try to get the fat guy off the top of the hill? <laughs> I could handle all of those kids who were smaller and faster, and they could climb up the hill, and I could knock them down just like pins, and they, they're dominoes, and they'd fall into the kids down the hill further. I, I was shiny. It was great. I felt like I was the abominable snowman. Now, my friend John Wessling might have said that I was channeling my inner Sasquatch. Now, a common saying back in the 60s and 70s was, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I may have felt like the abominable snowman during King of the Hill, but the fact that I still remember some of the names that I was called in fourth grade actually shows <laughs> that words do hurt. We're now in week four of Everyday Wisdom, the study of the book of James, written by a half-brother of Jesus named James. Now, Lana and I have watched all of the series that Michael has done so far, the three previous Sundays, and he's mentioned every time that James is Jesus' half-brother. And the question came up, why is he a half-brother? I don't understand that. And I thought if the question came up in our house, it might be out there for other people too. The answer is really quite simple, and it doesn't involve any scandalous family history. James is the, the, the son of Joseph and Mary, but Jesus is the son of God and Mary. So they have a common mother but different fathers, which makes them half-brothers. All right, so this week we're going to look at what James has to say about our words and how they reveal us. This is one of the five common themes that runs through the book of James. Once again, James summarizes the theme in chapter 1 and then develops it more in the subsequent chapters. We're going to spend a bit of time exploring chapter 1 because it's so deep and critical 
to developing the theme in the other chapters. In James 1, verse 19, he says this, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We've heard this verse before because it was an anchor verse for one of the sermons that Michael delivered earlier. It reinforces one of my mother's favorite sayings, which was, God gave you two ears and one mouth. You should use them proportionately. My mother was a wise woman. If we're quick to hear and slow to speak, then we're actually listening to what the other person is saying rather than trying to think up our response while they're still speaking. Using our ears and mouths proportionately allows us to think and process the words that were said to us before we jump to a wrong conclusion and react angrily. James speaks more directly about words in verses 26 through 27. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Worthless? Really? How could James support drawing this conclusion? Well, as Michael has said numerous times over the past three weeks, James leaned on the teachings of Jesus and on the book of Proverbs for his theological base. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 10, verses 31 through 32. The mouth of the godly person gives wise advice, but the tongue that deceives will be cut off. The lips of the godly speak helpful words, but the mouth of the wicked speaks perverse words. <sighs> wow. So, if you let your tongue get out of control, it can render your religion worthless. Regardless of your sacrifices, your offerings, your good works. Now, James sees great importance in the tongue, as he mentioned it four more times in the following chapters. The tongue is a muscle in our body that actually utters the words, but it's also a gateway to our heart. The way that believers talk about people shows their heart and their true values. Their words reveal the truth about their character. Remember these words as we will revisit them in the coming chapters. So then what does true religion look like then? Here's what James says in verse 27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Where does James get that definition? From the teachings of Jesus, of course. Can you see how it might be embedded in what Jesus taught in Matthew 25, 34 through 36? Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Orphans and widows in their distress. 
Might they be hungry? Thirsty? Homeless? Lacking clothing? Sick and alone? In prison? Yeah, I think all those might apply. And how will this demonstrate you refusing to let the world corrupt you? By breaking down the walls that Michael talked about last week that create separation between us. The world would encourage you to stay in your lane or watch your own bobber instead of breaking down the walls to go to the aid of others. Let's move on to chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Well, um, that kind of makes me want to stop right here, do a mic drop, and head out that door. But, But seriously, think of how easily a teacher in the church could lead others astray by wrong teaching, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Indeed, if we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could control ourselves in every other way. There's that word tongue again in combination with the word perfect. Remember how Michael defined the word perfect from the perspective of James? Living a completely integrated life with our words and actions being consistent with the values and belief that we learned from Jesus. What a tremendous impact our tongues can have on the rest of our body and life. If we could control it, we could also control ourselves in every other way. Listen to what Proverbs 21 verse 23 says, and tell me if you think this might be the source of James's theology. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut, and you will stay out of trouble. What do you think? Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut? That kind of controls your tongue, right? And stay out of trouble? Maybe controlling yourselves in any other way? Although the tongue is such a small part of our body, it is one of the strongest muscles we have and can have a huge impact on us. James goes on to give some other great examples of small parts having a big impact on other things. So listen to verses 3 through 5. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a very small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. What imagery? A smoldering campfire, a power line failure, a freshly struck match. All of those things start out as tiny sparks that can result in a huge forest fire. James is comparing our tongues to the likes of these with the potential to corrupt the entire body and set your life on fire. Let's look at that last line again. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Have you ever said something 
that you wish you could have taken back as soon as it left your lips because you knew what you started wasn't going to end well? That might be an example of what James is talking about here with the tongue. Satan, the deceiver, recognizes our tongue as a weak link that he can exploit. He knows how difficult it is for us to control it, and he wants to take advantage of that whenever and wherever he can. So why can't we control this tongue of ours? What makes it so difficult? Let's look at verses 7 through 8. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil and full of deadly poison. We can tame and control all kinds of creatures, but we can't tame something within our own body. Where does the restlessness, evil, and deadly poison come from? From within our own hearts. Remember the conclusion that I came to at the end of chapter 1? The way that believers talk about people shows their heart and core values. Their words reveal the truth about their character. I told you that we would be revisiting that. James goes on to give us some examples of the evil and deadly poison in verses 9 through 12. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Oh. We deliver pain to people and praise to God with the same mouth. We're two-faced, using the same mouth to bless and to curse. Is it just me, or does that hit pretty close to home for you? How do the words that come out of your mouth on Sunday compare to the words that come out of your mouth the other six days of the week? How do the words that come out of your mouth when you're with your family compare to the words that come out when you're with your friends or at work. Let's look at another teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 45 and see if it sounds familiar. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Do you think that James learned from his half-brother do you think that this man who once considered Jesus to be crazy and maybe even dangerous came around to believing in what Jesus taught? Yeah, maybe so. 
We have two more segments to cover this morning. So let's look at chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? There's that word evil again, coming from our out-of-control tongue. But James takes it further this time, adding that criticism and judgment of others is equivalent to criticizing and judging God's law. Now, we don't criticize or judge people, right? And, and if we do, we certainly don't intend to be criticizing or judging God's law. Whether that's our intention or not, it's what the evil in our heart leads us to do. Another saying that we heard frequently in our house was, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? Okay, so I, I think that saying is still around, but probably not used as often as it was when I was growing up. Now, given that general rule, our house should have been deadly quiet, <laughs> but it wasn't. So now let's look at Luke 6, 37 through 38. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and then you will be forgiven. And let's look at Matthew 12, 36 through 37. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. I think that criticism and judgment of others would be considered idle words and that James made it pretty clear who will do the judging at the end. Again, Jesus' teaching is pretty clear source for what James is writing about. Have you ever wanted to convince someone that you were telling the truth? So you tack on something like, I swear on my mother's grave. Or, I swear on a stack of Bibles. Or, I swear to God. Let's see what James has to say about that in chapter 5, verse 12. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. A simple yes or no. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Don't enhance or distort the truth to your own advantage. Where else have we seen teaching like this? Hmm, maybe Jesus? Let's look at Matthew 5.37. Just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. The impact of the teachings of Jesus on the writings of James is deep and undeniable. So how do I wrap up what James has to say about our words and how they reveal us? And what do I want you to take away from today? 
Remember that your tongue is really a spokesperson for your heart. If you ask God to examine your heart and reveal to you anything that's offensive to him, that would be a great start. A good way to do this is to use Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24, which says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out in me anything that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. When you pray this prayer, listen to what God reveals to you and then confess those offensive things to him. Use your mouth and your ears proportionately as God gave them to you. Let your actions be consistent with your words so that people know that they can trust in what you say. Follow the perfect law that Jesus taught us. Love God and love your neighbors. Speak with kindness and love, building people up with your words instead of tearing them down by judging and criticizing them. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In short, I want your words to speak life into the people around you the way that Jesus spoke life in the people that he ministered to.